You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. I have come from a long distance to see you today. And you know my wife very, very well. Her name is Mary, and she was the talkative one in our family. Mary was the one that could memorize scripture. She had a photographic memory. She was so articulate. But me, I'm not very quotable because you don't know one thing that I said during the Christmas story. Now, one of the reasons for that is I'm sort of a reticent kind of fella. I don't talk a lot. But the other reason is Mary was always talking, so I never had a chance to talk. But I'm Joseph, and you may have expected me to show up in long robe and sandals and look like I came from an ancient world, but I would feel so awkward today coming to you dressed in that manner uh, because you all aren't dressed that way. So I'm dressing the way I would dress in your culture because I was just a simple man, unsophisticated, uneducated and I was just basically a carpenter. I was, a, I was just a, a regular guy. And I just absolutely love this uniform. I love these, this K-Hart shirt I'm wearing. And I've got a John Deere hat on. And I've got a tool belt. And, and I've got Levi jeans on, which I love. I can't imagine, you know, if I, in my world, was able to wear Levi jeans instead of that bulky robe when I was building things. And nobody had Levi jeans in my day, except for those friends I had that were from the tribe of Levi. They had Levi jeans. (laughs) But I was just a carpenter. And God chose me, of all people, to help bring his son into this world. And I'll never forget, you know, how, how I was just trained by my father to be a carpenter. Now, now, we have a little bit of a misunderstanding about what I did in my culture. Because, you know, we think of a carpenter as someone that's constantly working with wood. Now, I did work with wood some, but, but what had happened, the Roman Empire, they had 51 million people in their empire. So they cut down all the trees around the Mediterranean Sea. And in Palestine, they cut down virtually every single tree in order to use as fuel to burn the fires in their homes to keep their homes warm and also to make trusses for the roofs of their houses, but, and sadly, to make crosses to crucify people on that were out of line. And so basically what I did is I was a mason, That's what the word really means. I was a mason. I work with bricks because most of the things that I built in ancient Palestine was made of bricks. So in a real technical sense, I was more of a mason than I was a carpenter. But I was a carpenter, and I could fix things. And when Jesus came into our lives, uh, I trained him as well to, to be a masonry. He learned to lay bricks. And if you listen carefully to the things that he said, a lot of my influence over Jesus came out in his teaching. He said that he was the cornerstone. 
He was the cornerstone that was rejected by men and became the cornerstone to build up the kingdom of God. He got that from me because when we were building foundations in this little city, Nazareth, and then this bigger city called Sephoris that was about four miles north of Galilee. It was the biggest city in our area. And we would go there and do construction work when Jesus was like 14 years old after his bar mitzvah. And we laid a many a cornerstone in that city building those houses and he talked about the cornerstone. When he called his apostle Peter, he said, You're our, I'm going to build through you a mighty foundation to build my kingdom. So Jesus was trained by me. I, I had the privilege of teaching him how to lay bricks and how to build things and how to make things. But we also, as carpenters, we were fixers. We fix things. In fact, the word carpenter means one that builds out of stone, but one that fixes things as well. And I'll never forget one day, it was a sunny day in the Mediterranean world, kneeling down in front of a door who was, whose hinges were crooked, kneeling down there with my son Jesus and him straightening that door out. He would, he would fix windows, he could fix doors, and I would never admit it to him, but he was better at fixing things than I was. And I knew that one day, he was going to grow up and he was going to fix people. He was going to fix Mary Magdalene that was in a world of darkness and he was going to come into her life and fix her because he was a fixer. Well, I'm a little ahead of my story here. I just need to tell you how this whole thing came about that Jesus came into our life. I was engaged to, to Mary. Now, we didn't use the word engaged. We used the word betrothal. And that meant that when I was about 17 years old, that my parents went to Mary's parents. We all went to the same synagogue. And my parents made an agreement with Mary's parents that we would be married. And it was legal. The village elders were there. And we made a decision that I would marry Mary. And I was so excited because she was always the cutest girl in the synagogue. And I dreamed of one day of being her husband. So we were betrothed, and what that meant was we were officially married, except we had not consummated the marriage yet. And my job after that was I was to go prepare a house for her. Now, one of the things you may not know is that when Mary and I got betrothed, I had to give two-thirds, two-thirds of my savings to Mary's parents in order to take the place of Mary's labor for the family because Mary was a, she was a worker for their, for their family. She worked in the garden that they had. She sold produce in the village and she was a productive part of her family. And when she married me, they were going to lose a worker in their family. So I had to give what was called a dowry, two thirds of my savings that I'd been saving since I was 13 years old. I had to get 13, thir since I was 13, I gave two thirds of my savings to Mary's parents. So that left me with one third left. So after we were betrothed, I had to go and build a house for Mary. And I could not be completely her husband until I had finished that house. So my goal was for six months, I was gonna work day and night to build this house, to take bricks and find them and, and to build a strong foundation and to build a one room house for Mary. So I went to work right away, and I worked in the hot Mideastern sun. It was hot. It was difficult. But every brick I laid, 
every piece of brick and every bit of cement that I put in that building, I could envision being with Mary in that house, us sitting at our table, us sitting in our chairs, us sleeping on our bed. And so it didn't seem like work at all because I was so excited about bringing Mary into this house. And when I got it done, I would get my friends together, we would light our torches at night, and we would parade through the city, and I would go to Mary's house, and I would declare to her house, in front of her house, I would say, behold, your bridegroom comes. She would come out with her friends, and we would parade through the city, and we would go to that house that I was building. So that was what I was doing. I was diligently working on that house, and I was skilled. I knew how to build things, and I was building the very best house in Nazareth. And I'll never forget, it wasn't long after we were betrothed that all of a sudden something really, really strange happened. Mary just disappeared. She completely disappeared. I saw her almost every day in the village, and we talked about things, and we just uh, dreamed about getting married, and we were so excited, and she was bubbly, and I was excited, and we were so excited that we were going to soon have that house done, and we would soon be husband and wife completely. But then out of thin air, she just vanished, and she disappeared. It was so unmarried-like. It wasn't like her at all to do that. She just completely disappeared. I found out from her sisters and from some of her friends that she had gone to the hills of Judea to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Why she did that, I'll never know. I cannot understand why in the world she didn't talk to me about it. Why did she didn't let me know what she was doing. She just completely disappeared. And I was completely confused. But Mary being a, a godly woman who knew scripture, a woman that I trusted, a woman that I've known since, my, since I was a little boy, I knew there must be some good reason for her, for her to do that. So I just kept diligently building the house, working at it with all my energy and, and uh, excited that she would come back and everything would go back to normal. Little did I know that when she got back, things would never, ever be normal again. So I waited one week, I waited two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, and I wondered where she was, when she was going to come back. I waited a full 12 weeks before I heard one day that she was on the outskirts of the village. I was so excited, I dropped my tools and, and I ran out to the edge of the village to meet her. And when I met her, there was something strange about Mary. She was riding a donkey and her robe was pulled taut against her stomach. And I noticed that she had a bulging belly and it looked like she was pregnant. I, I can't tell you what happened inside of me at that moment because I was completely astounded. I didn't, it didn't make any sense to me at all. This wasn't anything like the Mary that I knew. And I just stood there stunned in front of her and she reached out her hand for me and she said, Joseph, and I turned around my back to her and she kept saying, Joseph, please, Joseph, please. But I just, I just took off and I was walking and then I was running. I went back to the house that I was building for Mary with my money and I sat on the dirt floor and I just couldn't wrap my mind around what Mary had done. So my options were simple. I mean, this, this marriage was over with. 
And I was going to meet with the village elders the next day, and I was going to dissolve the marriage. Now, I'm, I'm not normally an angry man. I'm not a man that's of great passion. I'm sort of a calm, kind of a cool-headed guy. I was mad, for sure. But more than being mad, I was hurt deeply. I've never been so betrayed as I was by Mary. And that night, I, after I'd made the arrangement with the village elders, and I was going to divorce her quietly, because when we were betrothed, we were legally married, so I had to get a certificate of divorce from the village elders to divorce Mary. And I wasn't going to make a big deal out of it. Everybody in the village was already talking, as you can imagine. But I wasn't going to embarrass her. I wasn't going to shame her. I loved her, even though she had betrayed me. But I was going to ask the village elders if they could somehow get the two-thirds of my dowry back from her family. I could keep the house, obviously. It's on my family's property, and I can use that house one day when I did find someone in Nazareth that I would marry. So that night, I, I lay down to try to go to sleep in the house, the incompleted house that I'd been building for Mary. I laid on the mat on the floor and I tossed and turned, and I tossed and turned, and I tossed and turned. And all I could think about was who was it? Who was the guy that was with Mary? I went through every face in the village trying to think about who it was, and nobody seemed to make sense to me that they would have been with Mary. And then I had a thought, maybe this whole idea of her going to see her a cousin Elizabeth in the hills of Judea was just a whole big line anyhow, and maybe she was meeting someone from another village. But I just couldn't imagine who it was. And finally, after tossing and turning and tossing and turning and tossing and turning, I finally went to sleep. And as I went to sleep, I had a dream like I had never had before. And in the dream, there was this angelic figure named Gabriel. He had perfect skin. He had blue eyes and blonde hair and a shining white robe. I'd never in my whole life seen anything like it. And in the dream, he spoke directly to me. He said, Joseph, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. I woke up from that dream. I was drenched in a cold sweat. I sat right up on the mat on the floor, and I could not believe it. This was the Lord speaking to me. And as crazy as the story is, I knew it was true. The next day when I got up, I went to the gate of the village there and told the village elders I was going to marry Mary and I was going to adopt this child as my own and then the next thing I did is I went to Mary's house and I felt so ashamed I felt so guilty about how I had treated her on that day that she came back to the village I can't believe I, I turned my back on her when she needed me more than she ever did before and you know what I realized that day is that I assumed the worst about Mary, and when I saw her, I assumed what was not true. And I made up my mind that day, I was going to be a different kind of man from that time forward, that I was not going to assume the worst about people, but I was going to look at people and assume the best about them. 
I know in your culture, there's a lot of divisions and a lot of, lot of factions and a lot of uh, divisions and schisms among you. Politically, racially, all kinds of different ways. And maybe it's because you're doing what I did, assuming the worst about people instead of assuming the best about them. So when I got to Mary's house, I sheepishly knocked on the door and she came to the door and she could see from my face that I knew that the baby inside of her was conceived of the Holy Spirit. She hugged me and we wept together and I took Mary home to be my wife and I didn't sleep with her until the baby was born, but she came to my house and I took care of her and, and I felt so honored and I felt it such a privilege that I had the privilege of serving the mother of my Lord. Things went well, we finished the house and we were completely out of money. I didn't have any money left. My two-thirds of my money went to the dowry. That was gone. And the third that I had left was now put in the bricks and stone to build our house and the windowsills and everything. And I didn't have any money left. So I worked as hard as I could just to have enough money to put bread, a little bit of bread every week and some cheese and some wine to take care of Mary and I. It was very, very hard. The taxes and the, but the Romans was so overbearing that, that we could barely get by. And when I thought things couldn't get tighter, then all of a sudden there was this strange announcement of these Roman soldiers that came into town. And they said that Caesar Augustus, the big cheese himself, was sending everybody to their ancestral town to register for a census. There was only one reason for this. The Romans didn't care how many people they had. All they wanted to know is they could organize people correctly so they could get taxes and collect taxes from them. So just think about this. Mary and I, we had no money. We had no resources. We had nothing to go on. And, and now we had to travel 80 miles to go to Bethlehem where my ancestral home is. And so the time came when we had to leave. We had some bread that we had prepared and put in a bag. We had some olives that we had in a bag. We had, had some, some water and some cheese. And, and we, I put Mary on the donkey. And it was going to take us a while to get there because 80 miles away. And in Mary's condition, she's eight months pregnant right now. So she's on the donkey and her back is hurting and I'm leading the donkey. And we just make eight or ten miles a day. We're just inching our way toward Bethlehem. And I thought to myself, why did God not choose a family with more resources? Why didn't he choose a richer family that had funds to, to take care of his, uh, his child that he was bringing into the world, the anointed Christ, the Son of God? Mary and I were talking about this. Why did he choose us? We didn't have any money. We were poor as, as we could be. And, and Mary said, maybe it's because that God wanted... His gift, his anointed one, to appeal to not just the rich in society, but even the homeless, even people that don't have any resources or any money at all. Maybe he chose us, the poorest of the poor, so that somehow the poor of this world would know that there's a God who identifies with him and loves them and cares about them. We finally made it to 
Bethlehem, after you know, over a week traveling and it was hard and we were both tired and Mary's contractions had begun as we got close to Bethlehem. And we looked for our relative's home. And a lot of people are really confused. They thought we went there to go to an inn, to a motel. And, you know, listen, there weren't any hotels or motels in Bethlehem. I mean, there were no Radisson's and Marriott's in Bethlehem. There were, there, they did not exist in those days. An inn was a guest room. And of course we had relatives in Bethlehem. That's why we were going there to our ancestral home. We had relatives there. And when we finally got to the right street, to the right house where our relatives live, we found out that their guest room was already filled with other travelers that had gotten there before us. And the only place for us to go, the only place for us to go was in the back, they had a cave that's where they kept their livestock. That's where they kept their cows and their sheep. And, and that's where we were going to have to spend the night. Now, I don't know what your vision is of that cave, but when we walked in there, it had been raining and, and you could smell the, the manure. The, the, the straw was, was damp and wet and it was a stench in the air. And there were cobwebs and neither Mary nor I like spiders. There were cobwebs, there was wet straw, and I cleared out a place, the cleanest place I could for Mary to lie down, and we had a blanket or two, and I laid the blanket down, and Mary laid on that blanket, and she was in labor, and there was nobody. There weren't any doctors, there were no nurses, there was nobody except Mary and I. And I helped Mary have Jesus. And I was the very first one. I was the very first one to ever touch Jesus. He came out of Mary and I brought him forth and held him in my hands and and I cut the umbilical cord. And then I rubbed them in salt because in those days we would rub our babies in salt to make their skin harder. And we would rub them in salt to protect them from germs and diseases. And then Mary had bought some rags from, from Nazareth and I wrapped him tightly in those rags so that he would feel secure like he was still in his mother's womb. And I was the very first person to touch Jesus. And as I touched him, I realized that one day the one that I was touching would touch all of mankind. He would touch people that couldn't see. He would touch people that couldn't hear. He would touch lepers that had a, a fearful disease. He would touch the lame that couldn't walk. He would touch people and change them forever. And I was the very first one to touch him. And I'll never forget Mary and I in that dusty, smelly cave hearing the baby cry. And all the animals turned and looked as Jesus cried. 
And I can't explain it, but at that moment, it felt like we were in um, an amazing temple or cathedral as this little baby cried. The baby that for thousands of years the prophets had spoken about. The baby that for ages upon ages that had been spoken that he was going to come and bring redemption to Israel. I, a carpenter with rough hands, a poor man, a man with little education, had been used by God to touch the Savior of the world and bring him in to this world. Suddenly, suddenly I felt incredibly inferior. I felt incredibly unworthy of the moment that I was experiencing. And I said to Mary, Mary, I don't understand why God used me. I don't understand. I'm so unworthy. And I realized that every single one of us, every single one of us feel unworthy. We feel inadequate. But the one that was born in that stable, that cold night in Bethlehem, 2,000 years ago where I came from, the one that was born was born to make everybody that feels unworthy finally be worthy. Finally not feel like a a failure, like I'm just a carpenter and I'm just a nobody and I'm just a loser. But the one that I held in my hands had been born to make us worthy. I'll never forget it. Mary and I held each other's hands. I cleaned out a the trough that the animals had the feed in. I had to dump the feed on the ground and there's a pile of feed there and some of the cows are wandering over there to to, to partake of the feed. And I cleaned out the feeder and the trough as much as I could and put one of our blankets in that trough. And I laid our new son into that trough. And we just stood over him and watched as we were there for the very first Christmas seeing God's great gift. And maybe you're like me. Maybe you're just a, maybe just a carpenter. Maybe you feel unworthy. Maybe you feel like, you know, God can never do anything through you. Maybe you've, you feel like you're so broken and so inadequate that God could never do anything great through you. I'm here to tell you that I am proof that you're wrong because God delights in using people just like you and like me. Well, I've been with you a long time, and to be honest with you, I've got to get back to work. There's a lot to be done, a lot to be built. I've got a lot of bricks to pile up. I've got a lot of things to do. 
and so do you because God has great things for you to build. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only He can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.